Good morning, everyone. Hope you are doing well. We are continuing in our series through the book of Galatians. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians 2, verse 11, and we'll pick up there in a moment. Uh, By way of reminder, Paul, a first century disciple of Jesus, a well-known church planter, is writing a letter to the churches in Galatia. And he's going to address in this letter uh, several important issues uh, that are beginning to arise as the way or this new movement uh, begins to spread across the known world. And one of the key issues that Paul is going to address in this letter is our relationship to the law and even our relationship to the larger body of Judaism. In the first century, uh, Judaism was this giant. The way is this tiny, almost sect of Judaism that's growing as people are beginning uh, to come to faith in Christ. And everyone's trying to work out what that relationship looks like and how one should relate to the other. Uh, The Jewish people have received in the past the law of Moses. Uh, They've received uh, circumcision as a physical mark that showed uh, to the world that they belonged to God and they were part of the family and they were in covenant relationship with him. They were very careful to observe Sabbaths and special days and special festivals. So now the question is, well, what do we do as followers of Jesus? What's the full significance of what Christ has done and what should I do next? And Paul is going to argue that all of those things that are central to uh, Judaism uh, are done away with. He's going to say, hey, you're no longer under the law. Your relationship to the law has been totally transformed. You're released from the law. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to follow all of these festivals and special days that the Jewish people are very careful to follow. Jesus has changed all of that. And in fact, Paul's going to argue that Jesus has changed everything, that Jesus has changed the way that we relate to God. Uh, Jesus has changed the way that we relate to uh, the law and to religious ritual. And as we'll see this morning, as a result of those changes, he actually has changed the way that we relate to one another as well. In the first century, The world was sharply divided between Jew on the one hand and non-Jew or Gentile on the other. And not only are these two groups, um, culturally speaking, they are worlds apart, uh, but those differences um, trickle down through every aspect of who they are and how they relate to one another. But now uh, this announcement about Jesus is going out into the world and God has made it clear that this message is for the Gentiles, even though it's about a Jewish Messiah, this Jewish Messiah is for everyone, not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles as well. And so now you have Jews and Gentiles both responding in faith to to Jesus and what he's done and suddenly finding themselves in the same community, side by side, sitting in the same room, doing all of these things that they never would have done before. And so there's this unique tension 
happen uh, in these new communities. And Paul is writing in part to help these new communities navigate the tension that arises from having these two radically different groups of people who in some cases have really been trained to to mistrust one another uh, now come together and be one in Christ. So we're going to pick up in Galatians 2 verse 11 and we'll jump right into the drama and then kind of unpack these verses as we go. This is Galatians 2 verse 11. When Cephas or Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, Paul writes, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James in Jerusalem, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you were a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ as that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Let's pray. Lord, as we uh, open up scripture and dive into this world that is so very different from our own, uh, God, I pray by the power of the Spirit, you would speak to us this morning. You would speak a fresh word to our hearts about who we are, about what you've done for us, and about how we are to uh, walk together in unity because of what you've made possible. Uh, Lord, even as we all sit in our separate homes this morning, I pray that you would do a transformative work in our hearts, that you would continue to grow us into your likeness and your image. Uh, we know that you're here with us in every circumstance and that you deserve desire to bring us into the fullness of Christ. So we invite you to do that work this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you think about the tension that existed between uh, black and white during uh, apartheid in South Africa or shortly after the abolition of slavery in the United States, then you will begin to grasp the depth of the tension uh, that existed between Jew and Gentile in the ancient world. Not only were there major cultural differences between the Jewish people and the non-Jewish world around them, but there was often a distrust or even a hatred between them. And many people uh, were trained from birth to distrust the other side. And so you had Gentiles who, uh, many of whom were trained from birth to sort of distrust and look down on the Jews uh, and think very negatively of them. And then within the Jewish world, it was the same thing. You had um, Jewish boys and girls who 
from birth were raised to distrust and in some cases even actively hate uh, the Gentiles and look down on them. In some Jewish circles, they would actually say, no, Gentiles are subhuman. Uh, they, are, they are dogs. They are uh, the lowest of the low. And so you can imagine the tension that existed between these two groups. The division between Jew and Gentile ran deep. And as a, res- as a result of these deep, deep uh, divisions between them, they were not to associate with one another. Uh, especially the Jews, they had to keep themselves from being sort of polluted by the Gentiles. And so there was, they weren't to associate with one another. And above all, they were not to eat with, with each other. Uh, and it's a little hard for us to grasp the significance in the ancient world of sharing a meal together. Uh, in our world, uh, we eat and even share meals with people uh, largely as just practicality. I'm hungry. I need to put something in my stomach. I can go to a cafe or a restaurant or you know, a lunch break at work or whatever. I'm, it's just business. I'm just here to eat. If people are sitting around me, I don't really know them. Not a big deal. In the first century... It was very, very different. To sit down and eat a meal with someone uh, was an intimate act. It was a, it was a special occasion. It was, almost, um, it was almost sacred in a sense. Um, and so to sit down for Jew and Gentile to sit down and share a meal together would have been, in many cases, strictly forbidden, almost unheard of. I mean, in Jewish eyes, that is sin to sit down and enjoy such an intimate act uh, with those outsiders, with those Gentiles, with those sinners. Um, You could almost imagine like a little white girl in uh, the southern United States who was told from birth uh, that black people are inferior purely because of the color of their skin. And if she was raised up and trained in that way of thinking, well, I shouldn't really associate with those people. If I have to, I'm going to think very negatively and kind of look down on them. Clearly I'm superior. And of course, I'm not going to sit like at the black lunch table at school. Like it's, it's unthinkable. I would never do that. Uh, Everything is, is marked off. Everything is segregated. But as the gospel comes into this uh, atmosphere of division, it begins to unite these two groups. And all of a sudden, uh, you have a Jew and Gentile being saved into the same church, into the same community, and they're sitting down together. They even begin sharing meals together, which would have uh, turned heads in the ancient world. They began operating with this mentality that Jew and Gentile are one. And, but as they sat down to share a meal together, it would have been this shocking, um, provocative act in the ancient world. It turned heads. People actually became curious about the church because they saw this happening. And Paul is saying in this passage we read this morning, he's saying, hey, we were all eating together and it was going great. Jew and Gentile, we were all enjoying this fellowship, this intimate act with one another. Peter was there with us. He was mixed in with the rest. But then these well-known Jewish people came down from Jerusalem. And when they arrived, all of a sudden, Peter pulls back. 
he, he pulls back out of the mixed table and he goes back to uh, the Jewish only table. Uh, he goes and sits at a distance. And in, in all reality, this probably, probably would have felt much more comfortable for Peter. He, he probably would have felt more at home at, at, the all, at the Jews only table. And so he withdraws and he does that. But Paul says, he calls him out to his face and says, what you're doing by withdrawing that way and, and making a, a Jews only table is that you are um, destroying this new unity that we were enjoying in Christ. One of my favorite movies of all time is Remember the Titans, uh, which is a fantastic football movie. If you, if you like sports movies at all, you have to see that movie. It's a, a true story uh, about a school uh, in, in the South that was forced to integrate. They took a, a white high school and a black high school and forced them to go together into one. And through the course of this movie, they do a beautiful job of, of illustrating uh, the tension, the division, the hatred that there was between black and white in that environment. Uh, but if you know uh, the, the story, and I won't give it all away, but in the movie, uh, this mixed team is forced to go off to camp, uh, football camp, and they have this gospel moment. They all come together as one, black and white. The walls are torn down. There's this joining of hearts, and they come back into society as this one new humanity, as this new team. But as they do, they're met with this world that wants them to be separate. And so they face the pressure of friends and family and sort of this stigma and all of this cultural pressure actually does begin to force them to separate back out again. And they, they begin disassociating with each other and kind of becoming suspicious with each other. And, oh, now we're going to sit at the whites only table and the blacks only table. And you see uh, the way that the uh, pressure uh, causes them to shift back into old patterns and old ways of thinking. And in a sense, uh, that is what's playing out in Antioch. Uh, and Antioch was this ancient city. It's one of the first places that uh, Christianity really began to gain traction and spread and grow and thrive. It's one of the centers of early Christianity. But in this environment, Peter is eating at a mixed table. He's, uh, but then his Jewish friends come and all of a sudden there's this cultural pressure in this set of assumptions and then, and then he draws back. Uh, he removes himself and all of a sudden it triggers all of the Jews starting to follow Peter this way and all of the Gentiles kind of staying where they're at. And all of a sudden, in a moment, Jew and Gentile are eating separately again. And Paul sees what's happening and he is furious. He's fuming. He marches up to the Jewish only table and he opposes Peter, who was one of the key leaders in the early church, but he opposes him uh, to his face. He calls Peter out in front of his Jewish friends and he says, hey, you are a Jew and yet you, you live like a Gentile, at least when they're not around and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? And he's saying, in a sense, hey, Peter, you're being a hypocrite, which is an ancient word for like play acting. You're acting one way when your Jewish friends aren't here, uh, but then when they show up, you're changing and you're acting like someone else. 
Uh, and Paul's saying, hey, that's not right. And in, in fact, in verse 14, which is this key verse in the passage that we read this morning, Paul says, they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. In other words, Paul's saying, hey, you're out of line. You're not in line with the truth. You're, you're out of line. And you need to then come back and realign yourself with the truth. The truth is over here. You and your actions and your mentality are over here. And you need to repent and, and bring them into alignment again. Come back into alignment with the truth. And the question becomes, well, wait a second. Which truth is he talking about? What is this truth that Peter then needs to come back into alignment with? What is this deeper reality that Paul is appealing to? And Paul's basically saying, hey, you can sit separately if you want, but the truth is that you're one in Christ, black and white, Jew and Gentile. You're not two anymore. You are one. And this is Paul's explanation. Uh, He goes on. He says, hey, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles. And if you just pause there and think about that statement, uh, you can see how deep that division runs. But he says, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, I don't want us to miss this amazing connection that Paul is making in this passage. It's fascinating. At first, Paul sees a problem. He sees, hey, the Jews and the Gentiles, they're separating back out again. The Jews actually believe that they need to follow their laws and their customs and kind of hold the Gentiles at arm's length. And if the two are to become one in their mind, it means that the Gentiles need to conform to them. They need to come into their way of life. Um, and, and that's their version of meeting in the middle, which isn't meeting in the middle at all. They're saying, no, if we're going to be one, you come to us. They have this natural mentality that, of course, we're better than the Gentiles. We, we have these laws. We have these customs. We've received things that are very special and unique from God. We're righteous. We're first class. And you are second class. But in order to correct this problem, he sees the problem, Paul's fuming mad. How do I get these Jews and Gentiles to stop all of this silliness and come together as one? Well, curiously, Paul points back to grace and justification. He says, hey, you Jewish Christians, you're looking down on everyone else because you have the law and you follow the law. But let's be real. The law doesn't save you. It doesn't justify you. Uh, it, It doesn't get you anywhere. The only thing that gets you anywhere is placing your faith in Jesus. And guess what? We had to do that as Jews and they had to do the same thing as Gentiles. In other words, Paul is saying, hey, we all entered through the same door. Uh, We all Uh, were justified by Jesus and not by the works of the law. 
you won't be better off than anyone else because you have the law. We all place our faith in the same Jesus. We're all forgiven. We're all justified. We're all adopted in. Uh, We're all given a permanent righteous standing before God through that same faith by grace as a gift. But because we've all entered through the same door, we all have the same standing before God. There's not a first class and a second class, we're all one in Christ. And so uh, Paul points back with this appeal and he says, hey, we all stand on solid ground before the cross. Um, It's beautiful. Legalism is done away with. The law is done away with. We're freely justified before God. It's solid ground. But that ground before the cross is also level ground. Meaning that as we come uh, through the cross into the family of God, we all stand as equals side by side. You're all equal. You're all part of the same family. You all have the same righteousness. You all have the same standing. Now go and live in line with that truth. Recognize that truth and then go live it out. And this, Paul is saying, actually becomes the foundation for unity in the church. Uh, The church should be a stunning diversity of gifts and ethnicities and incomes and cultures and education levels all coming together as one in Christ because that's the truth. The truth is, the deepest reality is, Paul says, that you are one in Christ, that we all stand on the same level ground. You can think of it this way. As an analogy, uh, if you'll find this helpful, you can imagine for the sake of analogy that the kingdom of God is something that you uh, would pay to get into. Uh, Imagine almost like a theme park or something for the sake of illustration. Uh, And in that scenario, it's something that you would have to pay to get into, but the more money you have, the more you gain access to. Uh, the more money you have, the more, the more stations you can go into, the more rides you can take, uh, the greater your status or standing uh, once you get in. So imagine then, uh, for the sake of illustration, that you're waiting to get into this um, theme park that is the kingdom of God, right? And you're standing in line waiting to get up to the admission booth. And as you're standing there, uh, everyone is comparing side to side how much money they have because that. Uh, they assume will be the basis of how much they can enjoy in the kingdom uh, and what their status and standing will be. So, hey, we've got a couple hours of waiting in line. You start talking with the people around you. Hey, how much do you have? Oh my gosh, $20? Are you serious? Wow, good luck. Um, I've got $2,000. Huh, well, how about you over there? Uh, $300? Yeah, that's okay, but like I've seen better. Right? And so you, you might begin uh, judging and comparing right to left, side to side, uh, how much money you have. But after a few hours of waiting, imagine that you get up to the admission booth only to find out that they don't take dollars. Hey, we don't accept dollars here. Uh, the only thing that we accept is gold bars. That's the only thing you can use to pay your admission and it's this exorbitant cost in order to get in. Well, what would likely happen in your mind is that you would begin to panic 
all I have is dollars. I don't have gold bars. Uh, there is no exchange rate. I can't purchase gold bars anywhere. Uh, I'm, I'm stuck. Uh, and all of a sudden, all of those uh, dollars that were kind of a source of pride for you, this thing that you put stock in, this thing that you were um, banking on uh, in order to get into the kingdom, all of a sudden, you realize that they are worthless and you find yourself in a panic stuck on the outside, unable to pay the admission sort of outside of the, the gates of the kingdom, which again, we're imagining as like a theme park, right? But you can imagine uh, perhaps that source of panic. Uh, and as you're kind of stuck outside of the gates with these other people and everyone's panicking and what do we do? All of a sudden, Jesus comes along. And he sees you and he sees the other people outside of the gate. And in his compassion, he comes over to the admission booth and he says, hey, I'll pay for you. I will pay the admission costs for these people that are out here. I have gold bars. I'm willing to pay. And, and likely your reaction would be, oh my goodness, th this guy is amazing. Like, where did you even, how could you even pay such an exorbitant cost to get us all in? And so you have to imagine that he pays this exorbitant cost to get you in the gate and he welcomes you and the others in. But in addition to that, after you're in, he goes even further and by grace, as a gift, he gets you an all access pass, right? And you and the people around you. He says, hey, this is the, this is the best pass you can buy, free, unlimited you know, rides on every ride, access to everything inside uh, the, the kingdom theme park as it was, right? So in that moment, uh, you now have, uh, by grace, you've been admitted. You couldn't have bought your way in. By grace, you've been given an all access pass. You now have the greatest status or standing that you could possibly have. You have access to everything. But you have to recognize at the same time that it's the same status or standing as all of the other people who have come in through the same gate by the same means uh, as a gift of grace. And what that means is that as a result of this incredible gift of grace, you couldn't have a better status. You couldn't have a better standing, but it's the same standing as everyone else around you. You're all equal now. Uh, where are all of your dollars now that you're inside of the kingdom? Well, they're actually all in, in a trash bin outside of the gates uh, by the admission booth. It turns out that, that they were uh, worthless. Uh, you, you left it all behind as you came by grace into the kingdom. And there's a sense in which that's what Paul is saying about the law and justification. He says, hey, no one is justified by the works of the law, whether Jew or Gentile. You don't have your own special righteousness. Uh, you don't have your own special standing. In a sense, he's saying, hey, your dollars are no good here. Uh, you, you can't bank on that. They're, they're actually not acceptable or accepted. It's worth nothing. It's only by grace as a gift, which is now the end of your segregation. You can no longer turn your nose up at anyone. 
I mean, you can uh, imagine getting into the theme park and, and uh, getting your all access pass and going up to get in line for your first ride. And imagine that you're standing in line and you're, you're waiting and all of a sudden up in front of you in line, you, you recognize somebody. It's the $20 guy uh, from out front who is standing in line next to you. Well, well, under that scenario, you might be tempted to go up and cut him in line. Uh, your thinking might be something along the lines of, oh, that guy, the $20 guy, he's up there. Like, are you serious? You know, that, that um, silly Gentile, uh, that silly poor person, uh, that, that sinner, that unrighteous person, that whoever it is, surely I'm more worthy than they are. Surely I'm more righteous than them. You know, get out of my way. You might go up there and just kind of push yourself in front of them. No, I know that I'm first class and you're second class. I remember you. But in the moment that you do that, this $20 guy that you cut is probably going to lean forward and look at the pass around your neck and, and then kind of look at the pass around his neck and say, well, well wait a second. And we, we have the same pass. You have the same all-access pass that I do. Like we, we have the same status. We have the same standing. There is no more first class and second class. Uh, you have no right to marginalize me. You have no right to exclude me because the, the source of your pride, Paul is saying, uh, it has been stripped away. All that money that you had, your $2,000, that's out in the trash bin. And, and so in a broader sense, uh, and Paul's saying the same thing about the, the things that were a source of pride for the Jewish people. Uh, what was the source of your pride before you came into the kingdom? Was it the money you had? Uh, was it uh, the color of your skin? Was it your beauty? Was it your intellect, your education? Was it your morality uh, and self-righteousness? Was it the trophies that you have on your wall? Uh, what was the source of your pride and self-righteousness? Whatever it was, uh, whatever the source was, he's saying it's garbage now. It means nothing. It's, it's thrown in a trash bin outside of the kingdom, you are no longer better than anyone else in the family of God. We all have the same standing. And perhaps the whole um, kingdom theme park feels like a silly analogy. But within that analogy, what I want you to sense is the connection between how you got in, uh, what the basis of your status is, and, and division and unity within the church. If, you're, if your entry or your status or your standing is based on your ethnicity or your morality or following some law or your own self-righteousness, th what that means is that there's going to be this massive spiritual hierarchy in which some people are at the top and some people are second class. Some people are at the bottom and it would all be based on work and merit and kind of earning stuff. Uh, the righteous law keepers will sit over there Everyone else, you can sit over here. Uh, the white people are going to sit at the white table. Everyone else, you, know, you go your way. The Americans are going to sit over here at the American table. You go that way. The Jews are going to sit at the Jews only table. Hey, Gentiles, you go hang out over there because we think we're better than you are. And Paul is speaking into that issue and he's saying, hey, wake up. 
Like that, that doesn't make any sense. That's not how you were saved. And as a result of how you were saved, you're not any better than anyone else. We were all justified, Paul is saying, by the same free gift. There is no more Jew and Gentile. What a radical statement to make in his world. There is no more black and white. There is no more slave and free. There is no more male and female. Whatever the source of your pride was, whatever the source of your self-righteousness, whatever had you thinking that you were first class and somebody else was second class, Paul's saying, hey, throw it out. It's done. It's garbage. It doesn't mean anything anymore. We're all equal now. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter how much you sinned in your past life. It doesn't matter how many dollars you have or how many brain cells you have or what's in your bank account. Uh, Those things don't confer status in the kingdom. The only thing that confers status in the kingdom is the blood of Jesus. And by the blood of Jesus, you were made a daughter of God. You were made a son of God. And within the family, everyone has the same status and and we're equal. All those boundaries, all those classes, all of those uh, dividing lines are torn down in Christ. And because of the nature of our salvation, because of the way grace and justification works, it becomes abundantly clear that all of these disparate and divided groups are now one. As soon as you find yourself And this is where it gets really practical. As soon as you find yourself looking down on another follower of Jesus or sitting separately or thinking in your mind that you are of a higher class, that you're more worthy, that you're better than they are, you have to catch yourself and you have to run that thinking back through the lens of salvation. How does grace work? How does justification work? What got you into the kingdom? You have to run it through that lens. And Paul says very clearly, hey, we were all equally lost before Jesus. There's an equality in that. And then we were all equally found in Jesus. There's an equality in that. And as a result, no class is more important than another class. In the same way, if you on the flip side of the coin, if you find yourself feeling less worthy, if you're one of those people who feels like, oh man, I'm the outsider. I'm worse than other people in the family of God. I'm, I'm second class. In the same way, you have to take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Paul would say the same thing to that class of people. He would say, you have to lift your head. You have to repent of that way of thinking. And you have to realign your thoughts with the truth of the gospel. If you think you're first class, repent and realign. If you think you're second class and you're always hanging your head, lift your head, look into the eyes of Jesus. Let him remind you that that there is no second class. What Paul is saying in this passage, it goes both ways. If you think you're better than others and you're filled with pride and you're tempted to sit separately, uh, Paul would say, you need to act in line with the truth of the gospel.
And on the flip side, if you're hanging your head and you're sitting in the back row and, and you're always assuming that you're less than or that you're not qualified, if you assume that you're second class, again, repent, change your way of thinking and line it up with the truth of the gospel. There is no difference, Paul says, between Jew and Gentile, between black and white, between slave and free, between educated and uneducated. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're equal in that. And all are justified freely by his grace. We all stand on the same level ground. Where then is boasting? Paul asks. Where is self-righteousness? Where is pride? Where is segregation? Where is bias? Where is favoritism? It is excluded. Paul is saying, this is the new reality that we are to embrace. But it starts with a deep, rich understanding of the nature of grace. You are justified freely by his grace. You are adopted into the family as an equal among brothers and sisters. Your, your cleansing, your adoption, your righteousness, your righteous standing before him in this moment, it's all based on the blood of Jesus. It's all by grace. It, it, it's not your own merit or self-righteousness. It has nothing to do with any unique advantage that you thought you had. And if we really grasp this, if this message of grace really sinks into our hearts, if it works its way into our thinking, it's, it's going to come out. It's going to be expressed in action. It is the end of boasting. It, it is the death of of bias. It's the end of racism. It's the end of sexism. It's the end of all the isms. It's the end of all the class systems. It's all of those things meet their death at the cross where we are brought into the family of God and made one in Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you this morning, Lord, uh, with a heart posture of repentance and knowing that it is human sin, uh, human error, human folly and silliness to set up classes. Uh, and, and as Paul says right here in Galatians chapter 2, he, he says, if I seek to rebuild the divisions and rebuild the walls that Christ has torn down, then I really am a lawbreaker. That really is sin, to come in to what should be the most diverse and unified group of people on the entire planet and to rebuild walls, if only in our minds. Lord, that, that's sin. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be held accountable for that. And so we come before you this morning, Jesus, with a heart of repentance, um, recognizing the truth of the gospel, that we're all one in you, uh, hearing that prayer, Jesus, uh, which some people say is the only prayer of yours uh, that it arguably has not been answered yet. Of all the prayers you prayed, uh, the one that we're still waiting to see is where you say, Father, I don't ask that you would take them out of the world. I ask that you would make them one that you would unify them in radical diversity, uh, even as you and I are one, Jesus says. And, and Lord, we hear that prayer that you pray over us, 
uh, that you, you don't want to take us out of the world. You don't want us sitting separately in the world. Uh, you want us unified, uh, even as you, Jesus, are one with the Father. So would you break down those walls, Lord? Would you expose faulty ways of thinking? Would you show us where we're tempted to mark off classes and divisions, whether it's by race or education or background or whatever else it is. Lord, we stand in the glory of your grace that justifies us freely before you. We don't have to work, hallelujah. Uh, we don't have to earn it. Um, praise the Lord. We can just stand before you fully justified in righteous standing. We have access to everything in the kingdom. And as we look left to right, we find brothers and sisters from every background, from every ethnicity, from every income level that say the same thing, that belong to the same family. Uh, we find ourselves hand in hand in the most radical family uh, that's ever been established on earth. Uh, Jesus, would you help us as we move forward to live in line with the truth of the gospel? We, we know the truth, Lord. Would you help us to live in line with it so that just like it was in the first century, the modern world might look in uh, and be shocked at the sheer diversity and unity uh, of the body of Christ on earth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.